Fasten your seatbelt. I am taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Forget him, kid. To infinity and beyond! It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. It's not a tumor at all. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me, and my natural response could be to get offended. Well, fine, let's talk about it. Any thoughts of, of your own on this matter? Or do you, is that your thing? You come into a bar, you read some obscure passage, and then pretend you, you pawn it off as your own idea just to impress some girls? Just another American who saw too many movies as a child. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. It is the 30-something movie podcast. I am your host, John Reed, and we are here for The Firm, episode number 476. We are, this is the end, the final, this is the end, my friends. My friends. This is the last weekend, or last week, of our From Page to Screen month, in which we've been taking a bunch of literary works and looking at their movie adaptations from 1993. So this one finishes it off for us. We've had we've had two this month that are Tom Grisham stories. Tom Grisham? What did I say? Did I, say I Tom? just don't know who Tom Grisham is. Yeah, I don't either. Why did I say Tom? I have no idea. Did I say Tom? You did. I meant to say John. I know you did. I just thought it was funny. You know what I was thinking? I bet I was probably thinking Tom Clancy. Tom Clancy. Oh, I yeah. know exactly what you were doing. Yeah. 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 I was trying to actually it was it was part of a transporter accident. And this yes. is John Grisham's transporter clone, Tom Grisham. I thought if one thing were clear by now, said you and I play things a little differently. Why don't we wait and see who comes out on top? Tom Grisham. Thomas, all Thomas Grisham. Transporter clones are Thomas. Yes, they're all Thomas. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's all, my headcanon for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thomas Grisham. His books are slightly less confident, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, they'll get there. They'll get there. As you can probably hear, my two Imzadis are here with me this evening. Um, um, <laughs> hey, we are okay. just, we are in strange territory. We uh, are in a rare form tonight. Well, John, uh, I've know. always felt pretty close to you guys as well, so. Hey. Yeah. <sighs> only uh, only our Star Trek friends are going to know any of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, everyone else is going to be like, what is going on? <laughs> and it's getting super awkward is what it's getting. This is like the, this is like the, okay, spoilers for everybody. This is like the part in whatever way home where, okay, spoilers for all the Spider-Man movies out there. But I feel like this is the part where the three Spider-Man guys are all just kind of having that real circular fun conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, I I feel like that's what's happening here. Yeah. But we can't shoot webs. So I guess that maybe is where the reference falls apart. Sure. I'm sorry. Sure. That's fine. That's a fun movie though. It is a fun movie. Yeah. The better mashup is Spider-Man Home Alone. Spider-Man Home Alone. I think that would be fun after you've gotten all the other I, ones. I think that would be fun. Yeah. Spider-Man Home on the Range with Cowboy Spider-Man. Spider-Man Home on the Range. Cowboy Spider-Man would be pretty cool. It would be. Actually, mm, do I spoil? Probably not. Have you seen the newest Spider-Man movie, The Across the Spider-Verse? I I have not. Oh. Dominic has. 
highly recommend. I have not been across the Spider Verse yet. Oh, it is so much fun. Awesome. I I had the benefit of getting to go see it in the theater, and I I tried to see it in IMAX, but the yeah. time just didn't work out for it. But yeah, I got to see it in the theater, and yes, very good. Far out, man. <laughs> must Far out. must go see it. But yeah, there's there are so many funny moments on it, and and knowing any you don't even have to know the history of Spider Man and the different Spider Man characters and iterations and multiversal variations of it but it was there was a lot of fun stuff cool that's very cool and spider-man 2099 features prominently in the movie and he was one of my favorite comic book versions of spider-man the futuristic one so that's great i was i was always a fan cool well we didn't come here to talk spider-man or tom grisham the transporter clone of John Grisham. I had another joke there. I'm not going to because we're family friendly. I'll skip that one. I can I can tell you gentlemen later. Very quickly, we do spoil freely here, so be warned. You should probably just have this should just be a general warning probably about this episode because we've already gone off the rails a little bit. Make sure you visit our website, 30podcast.com. You can leave us a rating, a voicemail, and you can become a co-executive producer with us on Patreon over there. If you're loving the show, if you are able to support the show financially, we, we very much appreciate that. Thank you so much to our Patreon co-executive producers who are supporting the show, making this possible each and every time there. We've put a bunch of bonus content there, and we are regularly coming out with more content every month. There are typically three bonus episodes each month, two short ones, one full-length episode over there on Patreon. So if you if you are able, if you're enjoying the show and if you are able and you want more of that bonus content, there's a bunch of other you know ways that you can get involved with the show over there as well. Go check it out on our Patreon page. If you go to 30podcast.com, there is a, I believe it's a donate button that is up at the top of the page, and that will take you over there so that you can join us over there. And uh, yeah, if, if you're able to, great. If not, just let somebody else know about the show. If you know somebody that enjoys 80s and 90s movies and maybe is even a fraction as nerdy as we are, then send them our way because much like the Borg, we would like to assimilate them. He's a Borg. Yes. He's a Borg. And, oh, no. and run away. I, yeah, thank you to all our patrons. Thanks to everybody that listens and support, first of all. I mean, that's. That's awesome. John, on a somewhat related note, what is Morse code for two shorts and a long? Is that, that's, that's not SOS, is it? Two shorts and a long. Hmm. No, Morse code, SOS is longer than that. Okay. Then I'm thinking of something else. You're right. Hmm. SOS would be longer. Because I'm just saying, whatever that was, if it was SOS and that was our pattern for the Patreon, I'd like that would just be cool. Yeah. Two shorts and long. What do what do they call them? Dits and das. Yeah, sounds right. So what is a dit dit da? I don't know. I don't know. There's something that that, that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have to figure it out. Yeah, that's, we'll that's, have to do that. I'm sorry. That's that's a good question. The the train is off the rails, and, and I'm like I'm I've got the throttle down off the rails, so I'm you know. That's I'm fine. freewheeling. I'm not helping out the show very much, right? Yeah, it's it's fine. Well, this is no different than what we always do. So, I know, but I'm still sorry. No, that's all right. Edge, I don't think we've introduced everybody yet. I've introduced myself, but I have with me, as always, Patrick Canigallo. Pat, how you doing? 
Great, man. Hi, everybody. And Bo Warmbold. Bo, how's it going? Doing well. Doing good. All right. Yeah, our episode is The Firm. This is the second of the John Grisham ones from this month. We had the Pelican Brief just a couple weeks ago at this point, so... We are, we're double dipping into the literary thriller here, the legal thriller this month. So the kind of the structure of our show, just to give you an idea, we run through what we call trivia pursuits, where we tell you a little bit about the movie, give you a little bit of trivia from it. We give you the, a, a quick synopsis of the movie. We run through major moments in which we try to take the movie and, and condense it down into the 10 major moments of the movie to kind of do a quick flyover of the plot. If you haven't seen it, we always recommend that you pause this, go watch it, and come back. But if you haven't seen it and you're not really interested in seeing it, that should give you a good idea of what the movie's about. If you have seen it but it's been a while, it should be a good refresher for you. Then from there, we jump into our deep thoughts and we get more into our kind of our opinions of the movie and any other of the more philosophical conversations that we might have. And then we end everything with three questions, which is a usually semi-loosely and somewhat food-related series of questions. Sounds about yes. right. Yeah. Yes. Can confirm. Yep. All right. So trivia pursuits for this one. It came out on June thirtieth, nineteen ninety three. Rated R. Two hours and thirty four minutes. Directed by Sidney Pollock, who did Tootsie and Out of Africa. Writers were David Rabe, Robert Town, and David Raphael. They did Casualties of War, Chinatown, and The Way We Were. Producers are Scott Rudin and John Davis, who did No Country for Old Men and Predator from 1987. Composer was Dave Grusin, who did Tootsie and The Goonies. Cinematographer John Seal, who did Mad Max Fury Road and The English Patient. Editors were Frederick Steinkamp and William Steinkamp. They did Tootsie and Ghost. It was produced by Paramount Pictures on a budget of $42 million with a box office, a worldwide box office, of $270.2 million. CinemaScore gives it a B plus, and Flickmetrics gives it an average score of a 64% aggregated across a bunch of the different websites like IMDb, Metacritic, Rotten Tomatoes, all those. Tom Cruise played Mitch McDeer. He was in Top Gun and Rain Man. Jean Triplehorn, Triplehorn played Abby McDeer. She was in Waterworld and Mickey Blue Eyes. Gene Hackman played Avery Tolar. He was in Unforgiven and The French Connection. Hal Holbrook was Oliver Lambert. He was in Into the Wild and All the President's Men. Terry Kinney was Lamar Quinn. He was in Miles from Home and Fly Away Home. Apparently he could have been in a Spider-Man movie because there's lots of home there. Wilford Brimley was William Devisher. He was in The Natural and Cocoon and the Diabetes commercials. Ed Harris played Wayne Terrence. He was in Apollo 13 and The Truman Show. Holly Hunter played Tammy Hemphill. She was in The Piano and Broadcast News. David Strathairn played Ray McDeer. He was in Good Night and Good Luck and Lincoln. Gary Busey played Eddie Lomax. He was in Lethal Weapon and Under Siege. Stephen Hill, who died in 2016, played F. Denton Voiles. He was in Running on Empty and Legal Eagles. And Margot Martindale played Nina Huff. She was in Million Dollar Baby and August Osage County. Also in the TV show The Americans, which we are currently watching and really, really enjoying. All right, some quick trivia for this one. I thought this one was kind of cool. Holly Hunter is on screen for a total of 5 minutes and 59 seconds, which is one of the shortest performances ever nominated for an Oscar. She is in 20 scenes for an average of 18 seconds per scene. So that was pretty cool. Like to get nominated for that an is, Oscar and you're in the movie for less than 6 minutes. That's pretty amazing. 
This one I thought was kind of funny, too. Gene Hackman's contract calls for his name to come before the title in all promotional materials. Tom Cruise's contract called for his name and his name only to come before the title in all promotional materials. Gene Hackman opted to leave his name off of all promotional materials for this movie, making his presence a complete surprise to most audiences. In the movie, Hmm. Hackman's name comes after Cruise's and before the title. Hmm. So... Little uh, little dueling contractual obligations there. That yeah, I boy, I'm gonna have to get a law degree just to figure out what you just said, right. the full ramifications of it. But right, because then I'm if glad his, it all if his out. name if his name comes first, but then the other guy's name has to also come first and before anyone else's, and if it's then if they but if they know that we know that they know, and if a tree falls in the woods. Does the Pope poop? I think that's how that saying goes. Well, the real question is, does a bear poop in the woods? While when there's no trees it. around to fall. Correct. While he's pooping. In winter. In winter. Both way, both uphill, both ways. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. I don't know that we mentioned any numbers, but I feel like this just fits. It was my understanding that there would be no math. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is. That's it, right there. If a bear poops in the wood and no one is around to hear it, does it still make a noise? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that might have been a deleted scene in Cocaine Bear, or at least it should have been. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Have you guys, this is a bit of a tangent. Have you guys seen that one yet? I have not, oh, but it is totally, not. it is on my list for the next time, because Donna has no desire to see it. Okay. The next time I am alone in my home. <laughs> if you want, if you want to have a, if you want to have a thirty podcast watch party, just let me know. Okay, I'll, noted. I'll, I'll come over with you. Because yeah, that I'll come over and I'll bring pixie sticks. There you go. <laughs> we can snort them. We we, yeah, we could have a cocaine bear watch party. Oh god. We could just dump. We could dump a pile of pixie sticks, sugar on the tabletop, and just we'll do a whole a whole Scarface thing. Love it. Say hello to my little cub. (laughs) Yeah. So one of the other trivia things I thought was kind of cool is Tom Cruise originally wanted to both star and direct in this one. And I was trying to remember if he had directed anything up to this point. And I don't don't know that he had. So. So this would have if if that had happened for him then i believe this would have been his first oh you know what i <laughs> so i looked he has only directed one thing he directed an episode of the tv series fallen angels hmm. interesting okay yeah so but yeah so he originally wanted to star and direct in this one i feel like that would be tough for that to be your first directorial debut to also star in the movie because i feel like starring and directing in the movie is a challenge i would think yeah yeah you'll you you notice that in tv if one of the stars of the show is directing that episode they tend not to be around as much mm-hmm. in front of the camera just from a yeah economy of time perspective i feel like mm-hmm. yeah 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 i don't know that this Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. 
A couple other quick trivia things here. One of director Sidney Pollack's original intentions was to have Mitch McDeer have an affair with Avery Tolar, Gene Hackman's character, but the character was going to be changed into a woman and be played by Meryl Streep. Hmm. So. Okay. And then, let's see, another one, Robin Wright, who we know from The Princess Bride and if you watch House of Cards and a lot of other things. She was originally offered the part of Tom Cruise's wife in this movie, of Abby. Hmm. And if you want, I, I know we've already hit it, but we'll do it again. It was my understanding that there would be no math. The $96,000 offered to Mitch McDeer to join the firm in this 1993 film is equivalent to about $193,000 in 2022. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. The $750,000 that is sent to his account would equal about $1.5 million today. So, yes. Last no. trivia thing, because I thought this one was kind of fun, and it's if you're not paying attention, I think it's only mentioned once. If you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. Their dog. Did you catch what their dog's name is? Yes. Oh, crap. No. I remember that. thinking of it at the time going, that's cute. Mm-hmm. Hearsay. But, yeah. That's right. Yes. Yeah, hearsay. Wait, what was it? Hearsay. Hearsay. Like, of course, if and you're an attorney. just awesome. Like, if you're an attorney, your dog's name is Hearsay. That's of fantastic. Course. That's great. Of course. Yeah. All right. In a world where law and corruption intertwine, Tom Cruise is Mitch McDeer, a young lawyer enticed by power. Gene Triplehorn, Gene Hackman, lots of genes, and Hal Holbrook join in a dangerous game where one move could be the last. maintain the confidence and preserve inviolate the secrets of my client. I will maintain the confidence and preserve inviolate the secrets of my client. Mitch, the letter you got from Bendini, Lambert, and Locke was the only one sent out. We want you. Do you have an offer in mind? It includes a bonus schedule, and we'd lease you a new Mercedes. Plus a low-interest mortgage. As in home? With Grasima? In a two-car garage. These are nice people, Abby. Okay, I'm more impressed with it than you are. You go up with it. Did you ever think I'd make a six-figure salary? Absolutely. Since we deal primarily in tax and securities, our clients are very wealthy. We keep each other's secrets. I don't want anyone with family money. I'm not sure I follow. They want you lean and hungry. If all your money comes from one source, then you tend to be very loyal to that source. Marty Kaczynski and Joe Hodges were killed. There was some kind of explosion on the boat. Kay was scared. Did you know the men who died? Yes. You must be overwhelmed with grief. People grieve in different ways, Miss McDear. You think I'm talking about breaking the law? No, I'm just trying to figure out how far you want it bent. As far as you can without breaking it. That room looks like a health hazard. That's four dead lawyers. None of them over the age of 45. Where are you guys? The FBI wouldn't have come after you if they didn't think they'd get to you. Now, what do you think made them think that? I have no idea. Well, they might know how important your young wife is to you. Anything's possible. I'll tell you one thing. If those guys at the stake joint were feds, you better watch out for them. We might be misreading McDear. You've got nothing to be suspicious about. I get paid to be suspicious when I got nothing to be suspicious about. 
Why are you asking questions about dead lawyers? What dead lawyers? I know you'll do your best to protect the firm. Won't you, Mitch? We have faith that you're going to be with us for a long, long time, Mitch. Fact is, nobody has ever left us. Nobody. So I've got 10 major moments for this one that we're breaking down the plot. Major moment number one, Mitch's new beginning. Mitch McDear, fresh out of Harvard Law School, and his wife Abby moved to Memphis after Mitch accepts a job at a prestigious law firm, Bendini, Lambert, and Locke, receiving very lavish benefits in return. Money, car leased for them, forgiving student loans, all kinds of stuff. Making it They're making him an offer he can't refuse. So... Number two, the unsettling reality of this whole thing. As he is working relentlessly, his mentor, Avery Tolar, played by Gene Hackman, reveals that the firm's work primarily involves facilitating tax avoidance schemes for wealthy clients, and his nonstop working is causing his marriage to falter a bit due to the intense work hours and the firm's kind of invasiveness. Like, she gets creeped out pretty early on about them. being like, oh, yeah, we, we encourage children, like, right now. It gets a little, I think she feels like it get, maybe gets a little Stepford Wives on her. A major moment number three, the Cayman Islands revelation. During a work, work trip to the Cayman Islands, Mitch uncovers files linked to deceased associates of the firm and is seduced by a prostitute set up by the firm with pictures taken to ensure his silence that will be shown to him later on by Devasher. Is it Devasher or Devasher? How would you say? Did it ever get said in the movie? It does get said it in the does, movie. It does, but it's very okay. like quick and almost mumbled, so yeah. I never really knew. Okay. I'm I, gonna, my I, money would be yeah. on Devisher, okay. but I again, it's it's real quick and yeah. In all the ways that it's written out, it's capital D, lowercase e, capital V, A S H E R. So that's the only reason I was thinking maybe it was Devasher, but either way, it would make sense. Mm-hmm. We're Americans, honey. Our main, our names don't mean anything. <laughs> okay, so this is more of an opinion thing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna break in right here after major moment number three and just say, man, did Wilfred Brimley come off as a real creepy bad guy in this movie? Oh, so good. I mean, I normally think of him as like friendly grandpa from Cocoon and and helping me get my diabetes testing supplies, but. I mean, he was scary in this movie. I like, I wouldn't mess, I, just, I wouldn't mess with him. I oh my gosh, I cannot agree with you more. And it's almost almost like he plays the good guy. It's like he's got that talent where he plays the good guy and the bad guy the same way. Mm-hmm. And it's just he almost like Leslie Nielsen and comedy. Like he just plays yeah. it the same way as when he's playing his serious roles and it works. Right. There's one other guy that does that good guy, bad guy, and he does it the same way. And he is so good, especially when he's making all of those or the speech to Mitch where he's just like, Mitch, here's the thing. The FBI is going to take a look at this, these pictures, Mitch. And mm-hmm. Mitch, we don't want that to happen because, you know, you got a young wife and you're going to see things in here that, well, it's more than just cheating. It's what well, he kind of lists it out and mm-hmm. just the way he says in these other acts and so forth. And he's just so matter of fact, and it just 
it just comes across as he's just so professional. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, oh my gosh. And this is going to be in a bigger point, but not only the casting, but just the way the actors were either understood their roles or were directed and coached in their roles or whatever. It just brought these, you could taste these characters. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, I'm, I'm, I'm taking your digression point and, and taking it further, but yes, I wholeheartedly 100% agree with you. Oh, that's why you, you go ahead and take it and run with it. Yeah. It's that's yeah. That scene in particular, the one you mentioned where he's showing him the photos and he's like, yeah, we just, the FBI is going to think of every possible way they, they can come at you. And I don't know, just stuff like this. I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, and those whole lines where he's like, he's looking at the pictures and he's he kind of describing it. He's like, Yep, all sorts of intimate acts and and whatnot, and that can be right. hard for a a wife to forgive and pretty impossible to forget. Mm-hmm. And like just the way he says it all is like, man, he's creepy. That's right. But still looks like a friendly grandpa. And what's the line he says that's so awesome? He says, "I notice things where there aren't things. That's what you pay me to like. Yeah, you like pay it's, me to it's my see- job to yeah." Yeah, it's a great line. Yeah. It's my job to see things where there aren't things or something. It's whatever the heck I'm butchering the heck out of that line. Mm-hmm. But uh, I want to say it was maybe even in the trailer. So. Yeah. Creepy grandpa. Which I'm just saying the trailer music almost sounded like music from A Few Good Men, which it, I don't know if it was or not. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to look it up, but it did sound like it. So. Yeah. Anyways. Major moment number four, the investigation and consequences. So Mitch hires a private investigator, Eddie Lomax, played by Gary Busey, to look into the mysterious deaths. But Lomax is killed, prompting the FBI to step in and reveal the film's or reveal the firm's connection to the Moralto crime family. This is where we kind of start to learn how deep the rabbit hole goes. And he's hilarious as Eddie Lomax. He like you said, the performances in this movie, you know, Gary Busey. Normally, Gary Busey, I, I think of him as being, a lot of times I think of him as being like, oh, great, here's Gary Busey, now what's going to happen? But his character was perfect for this this private investigator. Utah, get me too. Yeah. I mean, it was right there. Yeah. He did get two, he did get two in the chest, I think. Yeah. Number five, the ultimatum. The FBI pressures Mitch to provide evidence against his firm and the Moraltos, promising him money and his brother Ray's release from prison in return. Number six, confession and confrontation. As Mitch agrees to cooperate with the FBI, he confesses his infidelity to Abby, causing a rift in their relationship, which at this point you, you kind of have to, right? You're like, mm-hmm. otherwise, otherwise the firm has all the power over you and – there's no way this was not going to go sideways for him, but mm-hmm. kind of had to because otherwise none of the rest of the plan is going to work unless he's honest. Mm-hmm. The risky business plan. Mitch hatches a plan to expose the firm's mail fraud practices because he figures that's one of the ways that he can get them, even though they're, they're very careful about covering things up. The fact that they mail these invoices to their clients and they've been billing them, they've been overbilling them for the hours is mail fraud. In each one of those instances, every time a stamp is slapped on there and sent out, that is punishable by, I forget the amount of money and the amount of jail time, but that is where he's going to get them. So 
he hatches this plan. Abby flies to the Cayman Islands to help retrieve some additional files from Avery's house. The plans are put in jeopardy when the firm gets wind of their scheme, and he doesn't actually know that Abby is headed off to the Cayman Islands. He is fully under the impression that this is all going to be done by Tammy, was her name, Holly Hunter's character. And so he finds out a little bit later that Abby was there, and then he's not too happy about that either. But mm-hmm. there is there's a bit of a bit of a seduction piece going on with her and Gene Hackman, although she is just there to ensure that she can get these files. And and you kind of for a little bit, I was like, well, is she really there to? No, she's not really there to to do anything. And and then obviously come to find out that that's she was there to help him out, help her husband out even though she's still not very happy with him for what he did. Mm-hmm. Number eight, the chase and the confrontation. As the firm's hitmen close in on them, Mitch confronts Devasher, Devasher, knocking him unconscious while Avery is murdered by the same hitmen. Mitch's bargain, Mitch negotiates with the Moraltos to turn over the firm's billing invoices to the FBI, assuring them their legal affairs remain confidential under attorney-client privilege. The Moraltos agree, guaranteeing Mitch's safety. And finally, as our friends from the Greatest Generation podcast are fond of saying the denouement of the whole thing, the, the unraveling, the resolution, Mitch hands over the evidence to the FBI and continues his legal career while reuniting with Abby. His unconventional approach angers the FBI, but it did allow him to ensure that the evidence can be put, can put the firm's senior members in prison. And ultimately, the McDeers return to Boston Ray starts a new life in the Caymans with his newfound wealth. That is the major moments of the movie. Is there anything you feel like we missed? No, that's about All right. nothing, man. I think you got it summed up there, buddy. All right. Let's think a little bit deeper about this one. And now, Deep Thoughts. I have an opinion on this matter. Don't mince words, Bones. What do you really think? I like it a lot. Wow. It's it's very deep. Thank you. All right. First couple of questions. Do you like this movie? And when was the first time you remember seeing it? I love this movie. I think it's fantastic. I don't remember the first time I saw it. It was later on. And, uh, but I read the book. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to say when the book came out, but about when this movie came out, it was right when I was getting into all the John Grisham stuff. And so I remember reading the firm. Saw the similar, movie similar yeah. for me. I read the book. I didn't see the movie for a long time after I'd read the book. I definitely went through a phase where I didn't want to see a movie after a book I made about a book I liked because I was afraid it would ruin it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoy this one too. The first, I don't know the first time I saw it. I feel like I watched it during high school for the first time. I don't think I saw it before then, but I feel like it was probably mid to late 90s when I saw this for the first time. And I've only seen it, this might only be the third time I've watched this movie. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's, I enjoy this one. It's probably of the John Grisham or Tom Grisham, as the, taste, the case may be. It's might be my favorite of the movie adaptations of his books. Because I do like, even just comparing this with the the Pelican Brief that we watched a couple weeks ago, I I definitely like this movie better than the Pelican Brief. Mm -hmm. And I feel like this movie has a more, maybe even a little bit more of a compelling plot 
than the Pelican Brief does. There were times where I felt like, it, as much as I enjoy the Pelican Brief, I did feel like sometimes the the plot was dragging just a little bit, or that there were certain things that just weren't super clear about it. And the characters, while I loved Julia Roberts and Denzel Washington, you know, I feel that the characters in this, I I felt, while I felt the paranoia in that movie, I actually felt more concern for the well-being of the characters in this movie. Like, I was more invested in these characters than I was in the characters in the Pelican Brief. Yeah. Well, they didn't kill so many off so early in this one. Also true. It felt like in the Pelican Reef, like you're you're kind of rooting for her and that teacher guy, and then all of a sudden, oh, teacher guy's gone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I feel wasn't there a line in this movie, something like, "What I'm gonna I'm gonna leave and then just be afraid to turn my car on <laughs> every time yeah. I go somewhere." I'm gonna mm-hmm. yeah. be afraid to turn my car on for the rest of my life right. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, I, I see what you did there. Yeah, and and I think the suspense. I'm trying to think back to when I first read the book or first first saw the movie. Or, or, well, no, I would have been read the book was the first time I was introduced to the story. Mm-hmm. The idea that oh man, this firm is like okay, maybe everything's not rosy because the the Gene Hatman character is kind of leading him a little bit astray there and and all that, but the idea that they're tied up with organized crime and boy, someone can die. And like, it's a slow reveal in the story. And I think a very effective one, it doesn't string you along to the point that you're just like, Oh my gosh, what is going on? But when they, when they find out that the two guys die from the boating accident, quote unquote, or the diving accident rather. And suddenly everyone's acting weird. And it's like, okay, something's not right here. Why are they in, you know, and then like the guy sitting there with the, the, the sprinkler spraying them in the, the pant leg. And it was just like, and they kind of focus in on it, mm-hmm. man, something's something's not right. What is going on? Here? I think it was very, the pacing was just right on enough suspense, but enough pacing to keep you engaged. Yeah. I really, I think pretty highly of it. Yeah. Was this, I was trying to remember the, the score in this one. I feel like I, I kind of jotted a couple things down and and I, I'm I'm not as much not to say I don't like it, but I'm not as much of a jazz music fan as Pat, I know you are. And I feel like I feel like there were some moments and I think I might have felt this similarly when we did watch the Pelican Brief, but in this one it because this one had kind of like a, a jazzy piano kind of score to mm-hmm. it. And yes. I, I did feel like a couple times here and there it got it was a little distracting for me. Okay. And I and I don't know I don't know. I don't know what it was like. There were there were times where it felt like it was an appropriate score for a legal thriller type movie, but there were other times that I felt like it was either too much or I don't know. Something about it just didn't quite work for me. But but I Pat, I know you you enjoy jazz music. I mean that that's understating it to say you enjoy jazz music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, jazz is my favorite kind of music, so yeah. I'll 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 put all my discrepancies right on the table. It, I don't even know what the heck I just said. All my discrepancy. What did it's, I just say? That's that's actually a line from a Tom Grisham book. <laughs> I was going to say, I'll put all my cards on the table. Discrepancy. What in heaven's name am I talking about? No, jazz music is my favorite kind of music. And who did you say? I, I, I was meaning to like, okay, who wrote the music for this? But I think you said it was Dave Brewson, right? Yeah. 
Did I get that right? Okay. Yeah. It, and I, I very much enjoy it. I, but I like jazz music. So, I mean, that's kind of is, is not a big giveaway. Um, it's interesting because I think we get so used to, I don't know if jazz music is used frequently in movies, and this is unfortunate, but it, I think when you use jazz music in movies, it very much sets the tone. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like orchestral scores can either be something as full and, and orchestral and right out of like romantic era Wagnerian opera mm -hmm. kind of thing, or it can just be kind of like background kind of, okay, we're hearing some chords. We're hearing, there's no real thematic material here, but we're, we're, it's more mood music. It's more sound effect kind sure, of thing. Yeah. Right. But I think when you use, if you use, well, pop music, I was going to say like a pop score is something completely, that's a whole other thing. But I think whenever you use something like, like rock music or jazz music, mm -hmm. I think music of that genre really establishes a certain tone with the movie. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And so there were a lot of incidences and I, I want to go back and listen, like what was playing like during the chase music, you know what, mm -hmm. or maybe they had no music. I really want to break that. Listen to it because when you hear it, it very much tells you exactly how to feel about the scene. Yeah. Right. So whatever there's like, okay, man, he's getting after it. He's got to roll up the sleeves and go to work or, okay, it's bad. There's bad guys in the firm, but that's okay. He's going to figure this out. You know, I think it, it's very, well, I don't know if you were going to do like a wine pairing or if you were going to like talk about beer pairing or something like that, this, this music leaves a very distinct taste, right? So you got to be careful what you pair it with. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if that's making sense. Yeah. Now, I, again, I'm, I'm not trying to come around and like say no job. I'm not trying to mansplain it and say, no, you're wrong. I very much liked it. I like what it did to the movie. I like what it offered. And I very much love jazz music, but like it, it's, it, it played a big role in the way that as an audience, I perceived this movie, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. You've been Pat Splained. Oh, gosh. There you go. There you go. No, no, no. I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't, like, I didn't hate it. It just, mm -hmm. I mean, there were just a few moments here and there where I felt like, and, and I don't know what I would put in its place. Mm -hmm. I felt like the music pulled me out of the tension of the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it may just be because I'm not as much of a jazz fan, and so maybe it just there were maybe certain bits and pieces of it that felt. I don't know. I it just it felt a little. I don't even want to say it felt a little off because I don't know that it did. I just there was something about it that just kind of pulled me out of the, out of the 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 scenes where it was more prominent. Mm -hmm. It didn't blend into the background as much as like an orchestral score or something like that. That, that could be it, and that just may be a preference of mine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. Do you guys have a favorite scene in this one?
I do ish, but I don't want to cut across both because I've been doing a bunch of the talk in the last. Time. No, go ahead, go ahead, because this one's a tough one. There's some good ones with Wilford Brimley and. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. I, I, I do. I gotta be honest. I think my favorite scene is when the two, the two mob boss guys are sitting there, and you've got well, the one guy has been in like every mob movie. He played Paulie in Goodfellas. He was Worf's brother in Next Gen. Mm-hmm. And then the other guy who was the assistant in Analyze This, and I, I don't know what he's, else he's been in, but he's been in a bunch of stuff. You know, they're sitting there and they're like, who is this Mitch McDeer guy? We're going to get him up here. We're going to take care of him. We're going to this, we're going to that. And then the, the secretary walks in and, hey, we need, we want no interruption. No, I think you want to talk to him. Okay, well, who is it? Well, it's Mitch McDeer. Oh, <laughs> I mean, that was, that was classic. And then when he walks in and it's just like, sir, I'm in you. He's all nervous. And you're like, my God, what is he doing? And then he just comes, he just comes over the top with the, well, I'm embarrassed to say this, but we've been overcharging you. And, you know, and he goes to the whole thing and you realize the setup and then all the Wilford Brindley stuff where he's talking to him in that one scene, boy, the FBI gets a handle of this boy. Hey, this, this could be bad because this could leak and it. And he's kind of like speaking, but there's all that other, that next layer of meaning as he's talking to Mitch McDeer. Yeah. McDeer does the same thing to the mob guys. Like if I was ever, whatever, I would never, attorney client privilege continues. Even this, even that, I'm kind of like a ship at sea. Yeah. But, but if something were to happen to me, then, then this word could get, like he's, he's, he's given it as good to these guys as Brimley gave it to him when he had the incriminating photographs. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that scene. And if I could just borrow a trope and I, I know that I I've heard the, the greatest gen guys use this phrase a lot and I don't know if they coined it or if it's been going around, but it's like, and I get this in a lot of John Grisham movies. It's the success for the main character is when is a culmination of a team approach where you get a bunch of different people all kind of banding together and outplaying the guys that have held all the cards up to this point, right? Mm-hmm. He outplays them. And when you see how much he outplays them, and here's the phrase, it's like he's playing chess, everyone else is playing checkers. Yeah. And you realize, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, he got him. I, I just love that scene. I love the way Grisham puts that into his stories. I love the way this movie brought it out. You know, great transition from book to screen. And the way the actors did it, so I, I, I just have to say that would be my, my favorite scene. Yeah, I did want to mention real quick the the actor you were talking about who plays Worf's brother is Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino, I yeah. should have known that. Who he's also I, in. He, he's go the, ahead, go he's, ahead, go he's ahead. Eddie Valentine in The Rocketeer. He's Eddie Valentine, yeah. which is he's the quote "Go get him, kid" yeah. in our in our in our intro. I am so sorry that I forgot. Oh, no, not at all. And a brother Italian at that, and I forget his name. No, you know what right. the heck? I'll never forget old what's his name. Mm-hmm. But anyways, yeah, he he's just so good, so amazingly good. What is what is his line in the Rocketeer? Matters to me. I may not make an honest buck, but I'm a hundred percent American. I don't work for no two bit Nazi. That's right. One bit Nazis are fine. Yeah, the the one bit bit, ones are okay. That's where he draws the line. Yeah. Yeah. No, and and that's one of the things I I really enjoy about the kind of the resolution of this movie is just how 
just how intricate this whole plan was of his and how he manages to pull it off. And it's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the young scrappy lawyer who, you know, he is, he was, he was basically seemed like he was one of the best in his class at Harvard and hardworking and everything else. And, and that kind of pays off here at the end of the movie when he's got to come up with a, he's got to basically beat the, he's got to beat the system. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of different overlapping systems going on here. He's got the mafia. He's got, you know, this law firm who clearly has, has been pretty good at covering its tracks up to this point. And it's just him. It's it's very much a David versus Goliath kind of a thing. And I think it just, it, they pull it off so well. Right. And David's got a team right. of, of, of like lovable misfits. Right. You know what I'm saying? And this, again, it it seems to be, kind of a John Grisham hallmark mm-hmm. where that happens. And, and I, I love it. I, I, I really like his books and, and you always get these guys like right on down to Elvis appearing when, you know, yeah. driving the truck. Oh, they got that guy, you know, cause it just, it's just so good. You know what it really felt like? It really reminded me of the oceans movies. Yes. Yeah. Like a, like very a very much so a heist without something to steal. I mean, I guess you're stealing files, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a little bit of trouble kind of narrowing down a favorite scene. I pretty much anything Wilford Brimley's in yeah. is awesome. You know, I, I think I, I almost, and, I, and anything Gene Hackman's in, I love Gene Hackman. So anything that he's in, I, I think I want to pick, because we've already kind of talked about the the Wilford Brimley scene where he's showing him the photographs and kind of giving him the giving him the lowdown on what's going to happen here and and how things are going to play out and but very subtly. Mm-hmm. I think I think one of the scenes that kind of just made me smile while the whole scene was happening was the scene where Avery and Mitch go to the Cayman Islands and they're meeting with the guy there and was it Sunny? I think was the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they're meeting with Sonny and, you know, Avery is trying to convince Sonny that, Hey, everything's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. And all of a sudden this, this young rookie steps in and he's like, are you, you know, he starts swearing at him. He's like, are you crazy? Are you, do you not hear what the man is telling? The man is basically giving you, and you can just see like in the, in the corner of the, the scene that Gene Hackman's character is sitting there going, Oh, kid, <laughs> just you know, back mm-hmm. off a little bit. Hold on now. But then it kind right. of, it turns his way completely. And you can just see at the end of that, he is overjoyed that this kid, what, uh, I think, what is the next line when it comes to the next scene? Like, uh, hey, kid, have you ever been a protege? Do you want to be? <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So I, I think, I think the consensus is good movie. Oh, great. yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Solid. Great movie. And I know we, I don't want to preempt our three questions too much and all that, but just Gene Hackman. Yeah. What a talent. And I, I've got, I've been looking and I can't find it. There was someone that came out recently, a big actor, big name actor that's listed the most talented actor he's ever worked with. And it was Gene Hackman. Oh, Kevin Costner. Kevin Costner just oh, okay. came out and they said, who is the, and he said, yeah, Gene Hackman was the most talented actor he's ever worked with. I would believe it. Yeah, can't no disagreement here. Yeah. 
I kind of mentioned that I think this is my favorite. Where does this rank for you in terms of the movies that have been adapted from John or Tom Grisham novels? This is the one I think about. Okay. You know, this is the one I, I process when I think of it. The other ones are sort of secondary, so it would have to be this one. Okay. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to, uh, well, I don't know, would it be perjuring myself? I'm going to go back on what I said when we talked about, because I think this came up during the Pelican brief and I'm going to kind of go back on that because I did say, I did say that I think my favorite was the Rainmaker okay. with Danny DeVito. But honestly, I think the firm, the firm, it's just so good. And it's just got such a depth of story and acting talent and all working together. And honestly, man, now I feel like I'm, I, now I sound like I'm, I'm ripping on the other one, which is not my intent, but I think of this almost like Pulp Fiction for Quentin Tarantino, right? Like the firm is like the book and the movie when you say John Grisham that everybody goes to. Yeah. I would agree with that statement. So I'd, I'd have to say maybe this one. Yeah, I think I'm, I think that's where I'm at. All right. I think it's time for, if I've planned everything correctly, I think it's time for three questions. But we'll just we'll have to see if, if, I can, if I can get here in time and knock you guys out and then collect the three questions and photocopy them and fax them before you guys wake up. We'll see how it goes. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right. Question number one, what is your favorite, speaking of difficult questions, what is your favorite Gene Hackman role? He will always be Lex Luthor to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's way up there, but since we watched it, I think, a couple of years ago, I thought he was amazing in the French Connection. Mm-hmm. So I, nice. I think I've got to go French Connection because that was when we watched that and we, we talked about it for the show. That was the first time I'd ever seen that movie. And I've, I've seen several Gene Hackman movies, but I, I think that one's probably one of my favorite performances of him. I mean, I can't, I can't separate him from Lex Luthor. He's, he's amazing as Lex Luthor and, and grew up with him as quote-unquote my Lex Luthor, but he's so good at the French Connection. So that and Runaway Jury. That's one of the other mm-hmm. ones we really enjoy with him in it. I have Crimson Tide Yes. Mm-hmm. on my list. Unforgiven. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. And then my outlier is the Poseidon Adventure. Mm, oh, good nice. call. Mm-hmm. He's so good in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you guys have mentioned all the one. He's, oh, man, I'm trying to look at each one of the movies, and he's amazing. I mean, 
the replacements, he's he's great. Oh yeah. Behind enemy lines, he's great. Okay, Royal Tenenbaums. Ooh. He's really fun in the Royal Tenenbaums. That is good. You see the chamber, extreme measures, the bird cage. Mm-hmm. Oh. Harry Zim gets shorty. He's great and gets shorty. <laughs> um, oh my yes. Hoosiers. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mississippi Burning. He's really good in Mississippi Burning. Did he? Re- yes, he did. He retired in like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Runaway Jury. That was one of the last movies he was ever in. How old is he? I mean, he's. He has got to be. That's a good question. He is. I'll be able to tell you here in a second. He was born in January of 1930. Okay. So he's not, not a spring chicken. 93. Yeah. 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 I mean, he was one that he he just is so good. And I've seen him in so much that I saw a picture recently and I'm like, holy Christmas, he's, he's, he's really that old? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess that movie's that old. You know? Yeah. Well... All the ones I mentioned, there you go. He is an amazingly talented man. And just how he can play on so many different levels. A good guy, a bad guy. In this one, you know, he's a bad guy, but not a bad guy. Well, he's kind of a bad guy. When he does, you know, I, so I'm just so good. Yeah, Just so talented. Question number two, what island would you want a vacation on? So there's a couple I've got because you you want a little bit of everything, right? If you're going to be on an island. Oh, yeah. So I've got the Bahamas because I'd love to just see some of the pirate history of NASA and all that type of stuff. But I also want one of those huts out on the water. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's that's island vacation to me. Nice. This one's kind of an easy one for me, so I'm just gonna say Ireland. Mm-hmm. Any chance go. I get like it just that's my default island Ireland. Bam done. You and I are very similar in that okay, that we didn't go tropical. Right. Right. I. I've never been to Hawaii. I'd love to go to Hawaii. Yeah. I've never been anywhere across the Pacific. Never been this way. Like, honestly, I would love to visit Japan and Okinawa. You know, the whole oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I Taiwan. Just so, I mean, there are so many islands out there, but that I would love to visit. And so this question is at one time, at, 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 at one time, it's both incredibly easy, Ireland, Pat, default. And then incredibly challenging because there's, oh, you know what? Never been to Sicily. I mean, it's just like there's parts of Crete I would like to go visit. So just list every island and there's a good chance Pat wants to go there. Yeah. So. I was kind of the same way. Like I I would love to visit New Zealand. Would love to go to Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, any of these places. I went with the super non-tropical 
very I went with your with your next door neighbor, Pat. I went with the UK. <laughs> right. There you go. Because my default was, well, Scotland itself is not an island, but it's on an island. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's gonna always be if somebody was like, Anywhere you want to go? Like, yeah, Scotland. Mm-hmm. Like well, I mean, f- you've already got the kilt. You're halfway right. I, I, I do, mean, right. You're so, halfway there already. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm already dressed and ready. So, yeah, that one would be mine. But you know, there's plenty of other places. Like like I said, New yeah. Zealand. I would love to visit New Zealand. Just Australia. We Australia, didn't mention Australia. Yeah, I would love to go to Australia. Yeah. I, I'm not as much, and then my wife and I both, we're not really as much the, the tropical island type vacationer. So it would probably be more of a, more of like a, cultural historical kind of a trip mm-hmm. so all right and then question number three i think we, we can trial some i think i used it one time before i can trial some some little music here for our subsection that this is based off of which is the 30 something food podcast for question number three so let me throw this in here real quick when was the last time you ate I gotta figure out a way to grow three years worth of food here. Randy, don't play with your food, eat it. I'm talking about food, real food. All right, welcome to the 30 something food podcast. Question number three What is the best barbecue ribs you've ever had? Or, for our friend Patrick here, the best meatless alternative to barbecue ribs? Brothers ribs. That was my lovely wife's response as well. Mm. Except we, I liked her. I I blanked out for a moment because our family used to always call that the pig place. Well, yes. So when she said the pig place, I was like, yeah, pig place. What was that called? Oh yeah. Brothers ribs. Brothers ribs. Mm-hmm. Let me get me some of that real soon. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting. They do have the, the food cart. Yes, yeah. they do. Yeah. And he will be, if enough, if none of the other festivals I go to, he is all but guaranteed to be at Mundelein days. So oh, I always get to see him there if not nowhere else. Okay. When is Mundelein days? July 4th weekend. So this year, okay. oh, you're asking me the tough questions now, aren't you? Uh, it probably starts afternoon of the 30th, which is Friday. Okay. One, two, three, four. Okay. Oh and actually, you know what? Think about it. Food might not be open until the evening on Friday, but okay. I usually try to get up there for two to three meals over that weekend so I can yeah. explore the breadth of the brothers' menu from pulled pork to boneless rib sandwiches uh-huh. to to rib. He doesn't have. He might have had full slabs last year at Mundelein Days. Okay. Sometimes when he does the smaller fests, he doesn't have the big slabs. He's got the little taster chunks, but yeah. still delicious. But yes, the pig place. The pig place. Patrick, is there a? Did you have barbecue ribs? Obviously, when you were when you were eating meat, or is there a? Have you have you found something that would be a good meatless alternative? So here's the here's here's the dilemma. First of all, there's no answer that I'm going to give that is not going to draw the ire of some of our our listeners, and I I know especially some of our dear friends from the and I, that 
I mean that honestly. Our dear friends from the 30, or Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, they had a little bit of feedback for us. <laughs> when I think one of these answers came up, I got I got Jason's. Jason had some feedback about about some meatless alternatives that I brought up in one okay. of the earlier questions, and it was it was all in good fun. We had oh, a yeah. good laugh about it. Well, um, Jason Jason doesn't have to eat them. Well, I know, I know, and, and like I said, I just want to be careful because I, I anything I say, I could draw the ire. You know, it's funny. I never. Well, oh my can, god! I feel can, like I'm. You can draw the ire, and then you can go vacation in the ire. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's right. That's right. So growing up, I was never a big rib guy, right? Okay. I'm really not. Now, it's funny. I love barbecue. Like, I love the flavors. Yeah. I love the different sauces. I love the different rubs. I love those textures and those tastes. And so from what I'm about to say, it's just going to sound kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But I could have that on just about anything else, and I would be happy. I love, like I said, the love, the smells, love, the tastes, all that kind of stuff. I just don't don't eat meat. I don't have a oh pick up the such and such such and such such and such and boy that's a great alternative and all that kind of thing. So I I'm just gonna cede my time to you guys to wax eloquently about all your different uh, different barbecue places that you like and can recommend. But I I really I don't have much to I don't have much to contribute to to this question. And I'm not trying to reject it, but I don't have much to contribute. But I I do love the smell and the flavors and all that of, of good barbecue. And I know that there's people that'll do different things. You know, there's like the, the meat substitute type things that they'll come up with or other times it's just, they'll flavor different ways to grill vegetables or cook vegetables or whatever. And they'll get the flavors packed in there. So that's kind of what I tend to go for. Yeah. Uh, my favorite place is is on Red River Road in Austin, Texas. It is called Ironworks Barbecue. Mm. It is this little kind of what what probably started and still remains as a shack next to a creek in Austin, Texas. It used to sit there kind of by itself. Now it kind of sits in the shadow of a massive, I think, like medical building that got built right next to it. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's all kinds of stuff. Just a few years ago, there was nothing there. You know, it was kind of on the outskirts of the city. It was by itself, and now it's surrounded by these really tall buildings. Best, my this is my favorite barbecue. Like we used to go there every time we go to Austin. We'd go there. My dad loved this place. the The food is so good there. They use the same seasoning, the same kind of the the rub that they use for the meat. They also use in their chili and some of their beans. And they, although I've never seen anybody do this. I remembered that they had signs or they had something up that was basically, if you bring us anything, we'll smoke it for you. It'll be ready in 24 hours. So you, you could bring them whatever you want, and they will, they'll smoke it for you. So great. Okay. <laughs> I mean, not, <laughs> not that I tend to do that a lot. They're like, yeah, you bring us a turkey. We'll, we'll smoke a turkey for you. Bring us a, whatever you hunted yesterday. You've, you've prepared it, and you want us to smoke it for you? Sure. Bring that over. But their ribs are so good. In fact, they usually, I, I think what I would get would be the, a lot of times I'd either get the rib plate or I'd get the sampler plate, which just has, you know, it, it has, oh man, smoked sausage on it, beef ribs, sliced beef. I mean, it, it's a lot of meat. Yeah, it's just so good. So that would be mine. That's that's my favorite place to go get. I uh, Pig Place locally would be my other favorite, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ironworks in... 
in Austin, Texas will will always be my absolute favorite. Now I'm hungry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is the problem. Awesome. This is the problem is like, the three questions always comes at the end of the night. And it's mm-hmm. like we, we always this is where we typically insert the food questions. And then like we're we're just wrapping up the uh, the recording of the episode. And we're like, yeah, now I'm hungry and everything's closed. And right. Mm-hmm. Like, unless I have something in the fridge, like I'm not. This is a problem. Not, See, and, uh, the... I do not no, have man. a full slab of ribs sitting in my. I know. I wish I did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't though. We need those three questions early enough that we can have the food prepared. That's probably true. Yeah. Or just record the three questions as a completely separate episode, and then we plan to go out to eat afterwards. There you go. <laughs> I think yes. we're recording episode number four seventy six this time around, and then the recording four seventy six B will be the three questions that we'll do right before lunch. Right. Yeah. Right. It can just be a segment. Yeah. Now there's different barbecue sauces. Well, obviously different chefs and all that, but like one of our good friend and colleagues loves to do pulled pork and pulled chicken and all that. And I remember she grew up in and around Virginia. And so she'll talk about the, you get like the barbecue, the barbecue sauces are more like vinegary, right? Like the, this further South you go, do I have that right? I could be off, but I know she talks an awful lot about like, the different styles of barbecue sauces and rubs and so forth. Yeah. That's kind of like, I feel like the vinegar ones are kind of the Carolina barbecue. Okay. Not necessarily Texas. No, 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 no. So the, your vinegar ones are Carolina barbecue. Casey would be Kansas city. I feel like is a, is a little bit of a sweeter. Do they do like, syrup or brown sugar or yeah i think it's brown sugar and it's it? a brown sugar yeah mm-hmm. texas is a little bit of like a halfway point it's to it's usually tomato and there's a little bit of sweetness to it as well so it's kind of a okay yeah i, I feel like i feel like at least at least from what i tend to taste when i taste the differences is it's the carolina is a little bit more the vinegar kansas city is mm-hmm. is very sweet. Most times I think I've had it is it's very sweet. And then Texas to me feels like it's right there in the middle. Okay. So, and I it shouldn't surprise anybody. I prefer the Texas barbecue sauce, but Well, there you go. Yeah. But I I'm not going to I wouldn't turn anybody down if they handed me any of it. <laughs> I am I am nothing if not an ecumenical barbecue eater. Mhm. Right. Mm, ecumenical barbecue. Oh. <laughs> that would be like the barbecue place that you would open and it would be open for like Sunday morning brunch or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ecumenical barbecue. Like a, a good before or after church barbecue place. Exactly. Food truck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be our tagline. Yeah. Ecumen- ecumenical barbecue. Lord have mercy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And and pass the mashed potatoes. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think we've sufficiently made ourselves very hungry now. Yes. And it was, it was my understanding there would be no fasting on the podcast, so I'm going to mm-hmm. have to go find something to eat now. But in the meantime, thank you 
gentlemen for being here with me. Thank you everybody for listening. You can catch the rest of our stuff at 30podcast.com, all of our other episodes, and you can hop on to Patreon there with us there as well if you're able to join us there and you're able to contribute towards the ongoing production of the show. Our month of July is coming up next. So this is the end of June for us, and we're coming up on July, which is our Fun and Games Month. On Patreon, we're going to be having From Here to Eternity is our full-length Patreon episode for this next month from 1953. And then we've got two Patreon shorts. We've got War Games from 83 and Westworld from 73. Our regular episodes will be Cool Runnings, The Sandlot, Rookie of the Year, and Rudy. And then if you're looking ahead all the way to August is our Family and Relationships Month. And our regular episodes for that month are My Life, Into the West, The Good Son, Indian Summer, which was a contribution from our Patreon co-executive producer and good friend of the show, Jason Colvin, one of the hosts of the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. Go check them out if you have not done that before, at Shirley Podcast on Twitter. And then we finish off the Family and Relationships Month with Adam's Family Values. Then on Patreon for the month of August, we've got Krull from 1983 and Super Mario Brothers from 1993 is one of the Patreon shorts. And there will be another Patreon short in there as well. Just haven't quite decided what that one is going to be yet. And we may have one of our other Patreon co-executive producers, Rob Perry, may be joining us for Krull. If I remember correctly, I think he reached out to me and said he would love to be on for that episode. So we may have him on as a as a guest for that one. I remember loving that movie as a kid. You got, have you guys seen The Crawl? Oh, yeah. That's if very I have, which maybe yeah. I did, it was a long time ago. Okay. I remember loving that movie as a kid. And I, and I, I want to say it's, it's one of James Horner's first soundtracks, I maybe? I think so, yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. But, yeah, I can't wait to watch that one because it's been a while. I mean, I watched that one a ton as a kid, and I have not seen it probably for at least 30 years, if not more. So very excited to watch that one again. All right, gents. Very cool. I I think we probably are going to go raid our refrigerators now. Oh, Yes. yes. So, all right. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. Be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we will see you back here next time.